The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As you begin your spiritual journey, you are often told what to do and receive advice on which path to follow. But as you move along, eventually you need to become your own guide. Progress can be difficult at times, but once you reach new levels of awareness, the inner vistas are spectacular. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your guide and companion is Giles Asselin. Come join us now on this path of exploration. Here is your host, Giles Asselin. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, This is Giles. Welcome. Uh, Welcome back to those who've listened to my show earlier on. And thank you all of you for being here today, for listening live or on demand. I was hoping to wish you again a happy spring and a clear blue sky, but unfortunately for two days, uh, it's been feeling a bit like uh, winter here in New Jersey. Uh, That's the way things are, and we have to obviously... um, go along with the weather that we we have. Uh, last week I talked a little bit about, a lot about the mind and a little bit about thoughts uh, and giving you a, a bicultural perspective um, in terms of the word we use in one culture, mostly uh, Anglo cultures and the French culture. And I was saying that the word mind does not exist per se in French and that the translation from English, at least from American English to French is very contextual. Again, uh, I said about my mother, she's losing her, her mind in, in English and in French becomes elle perd la tête, she's losing her head. And the question that I was using last week, um, are we more than our thoughts in a sense, um, came from my, from my friend Jean Mavrilis in, um, in Chicago. And she sent me a nice email last week. I mean, she obviously listened to the show and then she had some follow-up questions. And I like to address uh, people's feedback in between shows, except that this time she's asking many more questions, so uh, very much aligned with the, the question about the thoughts. But she went into the, you know, the, the reflection, the spelunking. I think that's, that's the goal, again, of, of all of us doing some more spelunking because of, of the show and because of what goes on in, your, in our lives between shows. And there was, she was talking about, um, are, we, are we our brains? Are we just our brains? Are we something more than our brains creating synapses? I have read that autopsies show furrows where repeated thought patterns occur, which makes a good case for thoughts coming from the brain. But are we more than those thoughts in our brains? And uh, it's an interesting question. I, I, will, I won't go into that uh, in full details today, but I think it's a very, it's a very interesting, intriguing um, avenue to explore. And then she went on, and that goes back to the topic of culture to me, culture and consciousness. She said Lacan, it's a French uh, psychoanalyst, uh, Lacan and others have written about the inability to have a thought if there is not a word for it. Are we our words? 
And yeah, I think it's much more interesting because it goes back right back into what I was saying last week about concepts that do exist in one culture. And because they do exist in the culture, they find their way to, to be expressed with words. And if the concepts are not there again in the culture, then there's no words to express them. And, and a very good example, something which is very hard to translate, at least in uh, American English, is the French concept of, uh, concept of pudeur. And one of the closest uh, ways to, to translate that word in English is self-restraint. Pudeur refers for a French person. Pudeur is usually pudeur des sentiments. Pudeur, something about restraining your own feelings and not sharing those uh, with others. It's something we learn from very early on. We, we learn early on that there's, within ourselves, there's a secret garden. And that secret garden, not anyone, not just about anyone is allowed in, in the garden. You have to have a, a fairly close relationship uh, to allow a person in, um, in your garden. It could be your parents. It could be your, depends how old you are, your, your mate, your, your siblings. I mean, it could be... A lot of people, but again, you need to use a lot of discrimination to in choosing which person you want to allow to to get into the garden. And it's not like you're saying, I'm opening the gate. Uh, again, French culture tends to be fairly explicit, uh, implicit, sorry. And so based on the information that we are being given um, from a person, you realize that she's opening the gate to a garden and you may want to reciprocate and give similar details about your life. And it, it turns out like almost like a, like a game, um, if you look at it that way. But it's a very subtle, it's like a, a flower and a opening up, a flower blooming in a sense. And it could be also pretty, um, you know, um, the image that comes to mind is like a snail. A snail is walking, his head is out, and you touch his antenna, and then it goes back in. And it's the image that came to mind to describe the way at least a French, a young French person, at least a teenager, I would think, uh, starts to open up to the world around him or around her and starts seeing those things that are fairly, fairly private. And, um, you know, after 25 years of experiencing U.S. American culture, I didn't find any equivalent. Obviously, some people are more private than others, and some people are very open about just about anything, anywhere. I've had so many cases of that. But uh, again, that's not a concept. There's not something almost I would call something tangible you can talk about. In France, oh, this person is pudic. Pudic is the adjective. And that everybody understands. We know what we are talking about. And, and so to go back to the email from my friend Jean, you know, she said, um, I will repeat what she wrote about Lacan. Uh, Lacan and others have written about the inability to have a thought if there's not a word for it. Are we our words? And I don't think we are our words, but we, we are the consciousness behind our words. And we are the consciousness at the same time with a big capital C, uh, which is the immense uh, consciousness. But we are also our own small individual consciousness, meaning that we are shaped. I think I mentioned that metaphor, that concept early on in the show. What kosher does to us, it paints layers, layers of conditioning all over the place, all over our psyche, all over our consciousness, you know. And by culture, I mean all kinds of culture, our family culture in the first place, our school culture, 
our university culture, our society's culture, our institutions culture, our governments, you know, the way the way countries are governed, I guess, is very different from one place of the um, the world to the other. And that obviously, you know, have an influence on what you think is acceptable and not so acceptable. Uh, something that doesn't make any sense to go back just like an aside, but doesn't make any sense to me as a French person, France being a, such a, a small country, is like in the US, you can have a death penalty in one state, in Texas, for instance, and not in New Jersey. And it's nonsense to me because, you know, the person in, in Texas and the person in New Jersey, they are both Americans in the first place. And so where's the... Where's the logic? It's not even a question of logic, but where's the, where's the sanity in there? And I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't see much of a sanity there, but uh, the death penalty aside. So what I wanted to, again, reiterate is like we really are the consciousness that has been um, imprinted on us by all the people and all the institutions that have been surrounding us since day one. And um, there are so many things I could talk about. It's not the, the topic of the show today, but one thing I wanted to say, though, uh, in terms of um, the picture I posted on Facebook um, with my invitation for today's show, there's a quote by a, a spiritual, uh, I call him a sage, or a spiritual teacher called Muji. And it says, develop the habit of thinking of yourself as consciousness, not as the body or a person. So I would say to the same extent, develop the habit of thinking of yourself as consciousness, both with a capital C and a small c, and not so much as the body or person or thoughts or even emotions. I may be um, answering the question for today's show right away, but I think it's very important that we start thinking or keep thinking of ourselves as of something else, you know, consciousness. Um, it's a very... Um, it's a very fuzzy thing. You know, you can't open a bag and put consciousness into the bag and said, this is where I am. It's not the way things work. And yet, when you reflect on something, obviously, you're able to apply that consciousness and it can go from the past to the present to the future, back and forth. So there, there's something at work which is much more complex, obviously, than our thoughts or than our emotions. And um, I think this is a topic for a different show when we move along, um, further along the path in a sense. And I can talk about um, different things um, involved in this uh, consciousness phenomenon. One thing I wanted to mention though, that has to do with thoughts, and that happened to me this morning on the way to the daycare. And again, I was doing my spelunking and this one was really knocking, this thought was really knocking at the door and it was such a nasty thought, believe me. And um, our son is almost five years old, goes to daycare three days a week. And first day is daycare day. And on top of that, today was picture day. So in this morning, I think the photograph came, photographer came and um, took pictures of all the kids and then portraits and all these things. And the thought that came to mind, and it was a very, again, loud thought uh, when I took him about 9.30. The, the thought kind of said, if the thought of the voice, he said, oh, you're late this morning. When you're going to get there, the, the session will be over already. And 
I thought to myself, what is this kind of thought? And I think it followed me. It, it, it kept knocking at the door for at least a few seconds while I was driving between our home and the daycare. And at some point, I asked myself, or I asked possibly my mind, the question, what is the value of such thought? Where is the beauty, where is the beauty in this thought? And suddenly things stopped. No response. The thing called or so-called the mind went quiet. And to myself, you know, I keep going back into this pattern. Is there really a mind or is it just a thought floating in our consciousness? And um, it was very interesting. As, as soon as I asked that question, what is the value of that thought? What is the, where is the beauty in the thought? What I'm seeking is value and beauty for myself, for my environment, for, for the planet, for all our communities. I want value. I want beauty. I want nourishment. And this thought didn't rush me at all. It was, in a sense, it was going the opposite way. It was, um, I wouldn't say it was killing me, but it was doing something nasty to me. And I felt, um, I felt curious in the first place. And that's why, that's why I kept asking the question. So this is a really a thought observation I wanted to share with you, uh, a fresh one, and um, a, um, a significant one, a meaningful one. So again, spelunking you know, serves a purpose. Once you start training your spelunking mind, for lack of a better word, once you start practicing, um, things will come up easily. Uh, you will be given a chance to, to reflect and not so much to, to jump up into whatever comes for your mind or for your heart. And so the topic of today is, um, is emotions. What is an emotion? I'm not the purpose. Uh, it's never my purpose to, to give you a, a so-called theoretical definition of something. I want, to, I want to live in a sense where I am and reflect on what I, what I know, um, what I've been learning all over the years, all the... Over all, over all these years. And I said, I said earlier also, you know, Buddhism equals daily life. I'm not living in a cave. Uh, I'm living a regular life in a sense, somewhere in New Jersey. Um, I'm a parent. I'm a spouse. I'm a human being. Um, and so uh, things happened to me. And two things happened to me last first day, a week ago. And I wanted to mention those things because um, they happen for a reason in the first place. And, um, and these, in the end, what, what came out of me were obviously emotions. And two of them and two very strong emotions. And the timing was very interesting because one happened in the morning around 9.30, 10 o'clock, when the show is about uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And the second one happened when I picked up the mail um, around maybe 4, 4.30, something like this. And so after the show. So in a sense, my, the show last week, my show was sandwiched into two very strong emotions. You know, if you want a, a clearer message about what am I supposed to, to be talking about, um, it's, it's difficult to get a message clearer than that. And um, I almost mentioned my, my emotion of the morning uh, in the show uh, the afternoon. So to talk about the first thing that happened um, last Thursday, we, we give away uh, old clothes and old toys to a, a charity called the United War Veterans. 
and they come and pick up things regularly. Um, you have to make an appointment online. It's very easy. And then they send you, uh, they have a flyer, a bright yellow flyer that you put on top of your bags. And uh, it's, that's what I did the day before. It was clearly, we put everything in the bag. Um, it was labeled, it was, and I put it by the mailbox. And on Thursday morning as well, the, the garbage people come and pick up our, our garbage. And I made sure that the bag was by the mailbox and um, the garbage bin for our regular garbage was about at least 20 feet away. And I thought to myself, I want to make sure that this is the way it is because um, people might get confused and they might want to pick up the bag and, and, and not the bin. And guess what? The guy who came to pick up our garbage, he looked at the bag first by the mailbox and uh, he looked at the label and then he threw the bag into the garbage truck. And I felt so pissed is the word. I felt pissed, um, angry, angry that, you know, what I prepared, which wasn't much. It's a small thing, but all what I prepared went to waste. It may have been burned the, burned the same day or a day after. I don't know. But it, it felt um, what I had done, you know, is going to waste and it's such a such a pity in a sense, and I was I was really distraught, and um, that's the way it was. And I also felt it's a very interesting emotion. I felt helpless because at some point when I saw the guy about to pick up the bag, the bag, I tried to open the window, and it was locked or something didn't work, and I couldn't open the window. And within seconds, the bag was gone, and and there was such a strong feeling of. You know, helplessness, in a sense, something is happening, but you can't do anything about it. And, and uh, it was a very, very strong feeling again, a very strong emotion. And um, it didn't last, obviously, or the whole thing, you know, vanished in the course of the day. But, but you know, it gave me a glimpse uh, into what an emotion is and how strong it can be, how strong and meaningful it can be. I know, and I could... Um, Relativiser, we say in French, you know, you, you make things, uh, put things into perspective. But I knew that this wasn't a big thing uh, per se. And uh, people go through many more, you know, dire circumstances and situations when they lose someone or someone gets injured. But um, what I felt in the moment, in the next few seconds, maybe the three or four minutes that followed, uh, was really strong and very... Um, was engulfing me in a sense. That's the feeling I had, uh, that I was really engulfed uh, into that emotion. So that's what I wanted to share with you. And uh, I will share with you the, the second emotion, the thing that happened in the afternoon uh, after we come back from the, um, from the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello again. Uh, Welcome back to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Thank you very much for being here today. So right before the break, I was talking about um, this emotion that I felt, this very strong emotion that I felt for a few minutes uh, when the garbage people came and took the bag that I prepared for the, um, for the charity. That was morning time. And then again around 4.30, 5 o'clock, I went to pick up the mail. And in the mail, there was a letter from the IRS, um, the U.S., obviously, IRS, Internal Revenue Service, the tax, uh, the tax division, uh, for the federal government, and and these people went. They looked at our tax return for the year 2013, and they were asking for more money. Or they were asking for money. They was they were disagreeing with something. And um, and again, this provoked um, another another emotion, a different one. So I was in a sense gifted uh, during the day with two emotions, uh, two strong ones. This second one felt uh, closer to, to fear or closer to anxiety. When in the end, even for, when I read the letter, I realized very rapidly that they made a mistake or that, to be, to be really precise, uh, I had reported something. I reported the income they were questioning, but I reported the income on the wrong line. So they couldn't see clearly what they were questioning appeared on line 7 instead of line 12 or something like this. So I knew that I was right. I knew that we had no penalty and no interest to pay. And still, you know, something in me was engulfing me into that emotion for for a few minutes. And um, it was very hard to get out of it. Um, Again, it's it's a feeling of being swamped in a sense. You know, you fall into the water and you feel wet at once. It's, um, it's a very interesting thing. And again, I'm talking about two instances here that are very minor. It's like small things in the world of all what can happen in our human lives. You know, when people miss or lose their, their people who are dear to them. So I think so much can happen in our world. And yet I was engulfed in my own, obviously, ego. That's where the emotions have, uh, have a fun day, in a sense. And um, the emotion lingered for a long time, the second one in the afternoon. 
And I, I think I went out to pick up our son at the daycare and then he went to the gym for a few minutes and, and the emotion was there. I couldn't get rid of it. And obviously to get rid of it, I would have, I think I would have to immerse myself into some sort of meditation. I would have to go into a very different kind of activity where I would keep my mind busy and um, like reading a book or, you know, doing something else, cooking. Um, and um and yet, you know, this emotion stuck to me in a sense like a chewing gum. And, um, and I thought to myself, you know, how can I deal with this? I'm going to talk about emotions uh, this week on the show. And yet, you know, what do I do when I feel such a strong emotion? How, what do, I don't know, maybe you're expecting some sort of, a, of an advice. Uh, it's interesting because... Um, Last week also, I was in touch with a friend of mine in, in Australia. Uh, his name is Giovanni Dinsman, um, and he has a blog. The blog is called liveanddare.com. In one word, liveanddare.com. And there was an article fairly recent that says, that the title says, Releasing Negative Emotions into Emptiness. And uh, that got me going, you know, releasing in negative emotions into emptiness. And that's exactly what I needed to do. Uh, except from the advice that he's giving, you need to be at home in a quiet place. Uh, you need to be able to um, relax and, um, and see clearly what the emotion is for what it is. And he has a... A method, uh, in terms of, of uh, seeing clearly, called LIAR, L-I-E-R. And it stands for Label, Introspect, Examine, and Release. And um, Label, obviously, you know, you have to label the fear or the, the unpleasant emotion for what it is. And uh, instead of saying, that's his advice, I'm afraid or I'm fearful, you could say fear has arisen. Fear is here. In a sense, you, you're able to distance yourself from the fear and from the emotion. You are not the emotion itself. It goes back to this point. We are not our minds. We are not our thoughts. We are not our emotions. Fear and emotion is something that pops up or pops out. This is not who we are, even though it invades our world, our possibly cerebral world. And then um, the second step is introspect. You know, take one, two or three deep breaths and bring your attention uh, inside yourself. Look at what's going on. Uh, and again, that's what he does is he's asking people to do some spelunking, you know. Look at what triggered the emotion. Um, what, what happened? What was the, the context, uh, the circumstance? And don't spend too much time there on the emotion itself. And then it looks at the third point, said uh, L-I-E-R. E, the E stands for examine. So examine one went on. Examine the causes. Examine the effect. Uh, the causes in my case, you know, where people picked up the wrong bag or the IRS sending me, uh, quote-unquote, a wrong letter. Uh, and what does it feel? Look at the effect. What does it feel in my body? And uh, I'm sure you will agree in this case, when, when you feel an emotion in your body, in your, it's more than our physical body, but 
you can feel you know tension you can feel maybe your face is getting red there's a that i would i would call it an intimate reaction and um and then another thing also when you examine this is to into um into this emotion you know what memories come back to mind when this emotion arises i think there may be a factor of accumulation here, you know, based on what you experienced from long, long time ago. Is it a familiar feeling? What happens to you? And, and how different does it feel? I think I mentioned to me when I looked back 10 years ago about how angry I was when I got in touch with someone for a trip in Washington, D.C. And, and, you know, this person nowadays, I mean, wouldn't create such havoc in me. I, I'm pretty sure because of what I've, you know, progressed in 10 years' time. And uh, again, what could have prompted a very strong reaction 10 years ago in, within you may not do the same thing nowadays. And this is because you, you've been able to detach yourself from, from something we call the ego. And hopefully you've gone into a much vaster and a much more spacious uh, self or, or consciousness. And then the, the fourth step of what Giovanni is advising us to do is to release. And, and um, let it be whatever the emotion is, you know. You don't have to, you already labeled it, you know what it is. It's an emotion, it's not you. And just let it go. And I think possibly it's the most difficult step in the process. Um, but it's a very necessary one. Um, Release is a very um, a very dear word to me. I mean, it's it's um, bring back you know memory of what I mentioned in one of the shows about again one emotion guilt that I've been feeling about my childhood when um, when there were things going on at dinner time and my mother was yelling at us or yelling at my father especially. And I internalized at the time uh, guilt, a feeling of guilt for not being able to defend or protect my father. And um, what I find very interesting, and it's a nice segue to what I wanted to say next, you know, this release thing, this release uh, point is really a point of departure. And it's really a point where you start to take off, in a sense, as a lighter being, whatever the emotion is. You know, the two emotions that I felt last week are gone. There, there may still be somewhere, like a, a trace of the emotion in my body somewhere because the body registers in our cells. It registers pretty much everything. But the emotion, even the thought about what happened last Thursday morning and last Thursday afternoon doesn't bother me anymore. So obviously I've been able to release, um, to release that. I mean, the emotion, the even what happened, it's no longer there. And um, again, again, this this process of releasing something is is quite intriguing to me. Uh, and because of the work I was able to do when this feeling of guilt resurfaced last October in the retreat that I was attending, uh, I felt much freer. And I think it's very necessary for our spiritual health and for our well-being, just plain well-being, 
to be able to really spend time on the releasing part of this process, I guess it's really essential. Um, and I also deeply think that this, um, this so-called action of releasing something which is within us and something which is not, again, something which is not positive or something which is not beneficial to us, I think it helps other people to release their own emotions or their own baggage. And it's, um, it's very interesting what I noticed since my, again, my adventure in the retreat uh, last October, uh, releasing this feeling of guilt and being able finally to forgive both my dad and myself. Uh, I remember that happened on a, on a very early uh, Friday morning, the last day of the retreat. I was chanting on meditating and I was... Um, very much into it, and, and the words came naturally one after the other. I mean, so much came out of it, and there was a sense of freedom at the end of it, uh, and a sense of freedom that was very, very liberating. And since then, um, two people also had a, a fairly similar experience, and that's what I realized, that you know, the more you release in terms of quote-unquote spiritual toxins, uh, within your body, and I'm not saying only in your physical body, but your spiritual body, your psychological body, your mental body, everything you can release, you know, makes makes all of us lighter in a sense, makes the planet lighter, makes Gaia more happy and more youthful, and 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 feeling of light, feeling of being able to take off finally after after a weight. In my case, the weight was there an internal weight, you know, in, in my subconscious uh, for a good 40 years. And, you know, think about 40 years of carrying this. It's the word that comes to mind is burden. It's really a burdensome thing, you know, to, to carry those emotions for a long time. And some people want to use, you know, psychotherapy, some of those meditations, uh, coaching. I think there are so many different kinds of ways to quote-unquote, liberate ourselves and get to a place where we can really um, enjoy a sense of freedom. So I would, I would definitely um, encourage you to do this. And um, if you'd like, I mean, again, look at this um, article by Giovanni, Giovanni um, on uh, his um, blog site, again, is lifeanddare.com. And this is taking me, interestingly, where I wanted to go um, at the beginning of a show. On Monday morning, um, for different blogs, I was able to watch a video. And it's a video about uh, the Cathars. I think I mentioned that briefly last time. Um, I've been writing about the Cathars. I was one of them in a previous life, dating about um, almost 800 years ago. And... The video that I was able to watch Monday morning is about uh, Cathars uh, group reincarnation uh, occurring in, in Bath, in the city of Bath in England, west of London. And uh, very interesting, at some point there's a, a woman who sees a, she's called Mrs. Smith in the documentary, just a, anyone's name, and she goes to see a, a psychiatrist um, talking about her dreams and nightmares and things that have been uh, tormenting her for a long time. And apparently two years down the road from seeing this psychiatrist, uh, she tells him that in ages past, in Cathar time, uh, 
she was a Cathar woman and he was a Cathar man and they were lovers. And there's a whole scenario about this in the, in the documentary and then there's the guy who investigates with a journalist. It's a well done thing. I mean, it's, uh, again, it might be um, a BBC type of documentary, but what is interesting, it talks about memories. And what I found even more interesting is that towards the end, the guy who is doing the, the central uh, commentator uh, who works as a journalist in the documentary, he takes two Irish women. I think they are from Northern Ireland. Their names are Joan and, um, and Kathy. And he takes them back to Montségur, uh, the last stronghold of the Cathar that surrendered in, in uh, 1244. And at one point... Um, these two women have been there before a number of years ago I don't know how, how many years ago and they were also born in the 60s but obviously in Ireland and not so much in, uh, in England and they had been there once and Joan especially mentioned a very strange feeling while being up there you have to climb up it's like a it's, it's called a pog in uh, Occitan language it's like a hill and the, 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 the castle is perched at the very top of the of the hill and um and that's very, um, very interesting, uh, very interesting picture, sorry. And um, so they have been there before, um, maybe, um, I don't know how many years back, previous that. And uh, Joan has this very strange feeling when she was up there on top of the, of the hill, right by the ruins of the castle. And um, she said at some point she wanted to go into one direction. And then, for whatever reason, she was pulled into another direction, and she started to look from the, the fortress, from the um, tip of the hill, down into the village. The village down, down at the bottom of the hill is also called Montségur. And she didn't know why. And that was it. I think, I don't know how long they stayed, but then they went back to Ireland. And then, again, at the end of this uh, documentary, uh, the last five minutes, um, a group of four or five people go back to Montségur, and Joan and Kathy are part of the trip. And um, it's interesting, Joan now starts to remember, and she's again engulfed by memories. And those memories are memories of, uh, as she describes them, I wanted to make you listen to the, the portion, but I think I will try to do it another time. But she mentions... Um, feelings and emotions of, of sadness, of guilt, and cowardice, very strong emotions. And, and she realized then that she had lived that life as a Cathar. To her, I think it was obvious after two times visiting the site. But what she didn't realize until then is that a few days, um, there was about a two-week gap between the time that... Um, the castle or the, the park surrendered to the French armies, the armies of the French king. And then about two weeks later, people walked down off the castle and about 220 of them were burned on the pyre because they, they refused to, to renounce their faith, their Cathar faith. And in that interval, this woman, Joan, she realized that as a Cathar, she had jumped off the cliff because she was afraid of being burned on the, on, the, on the pyre. And I can understand, you know, the feeling there. And at the time she was a man, she also, you know, 
remembered that. And, um, and there was a very strong, very emotional moment for her, but also the way I received it. And uh, I could feel what she was feeling in a sense. And this feeling of, of betrayal at the same time, because she didn't finish, you know, her days in a sense, the way her family, a faith family, the Cathars, all those 225 people that went to the pyre singing, singing their faith and offering their lives to the divine. And um, it made her very sad. Even, you know, it's been now, I think this past March was 771 years since the time that the pyre was built and these people were burned. And, and I'm really wondering about these kind of things, you know, how is it possible for emotions to quote-unquote survive for seven and seven, 771 years? And this is one case, um, one case of reincarnation. You believe whatever you want to believe about reincarnation, it's not the point. I'm not trying to make a case in here. But obviously, there's something going on within a human being that shows emotions. And the emotions, I was talking about cause and effect, you know, within the website of, of Giovanni. And you have to find the cause. And the cause goes back 771 years. How is this possible? How can we, you know, cross so many lifetimes and still feel that emotion? It's, um, it's an amazing thing. I mean, I I would have, of course, to delve into a lot of things to, to try to explain that for myself. I mean, I believe in reincarnation, so that's one, one element that makes uh, things a little easier for me. But still, you know, it's, it is so amazing that one person, one human being, by being put into the right context, into the right circumstances, uh, very similar to what she experienced uh, almost 800 years ago, can relieve, in a sense, on an emotional level, she can relieve the exact same um, feelings of, of guilt, of sadness, of cowardice, of betrayal. You know, these emotions have stayed there within her soul for so long. And again, I get back to that point of release, you know. If these emotions are still there, it means that they haven't been released. They haven't, been, they haven't been worked out in a sense. They haven't been possibly identified. You have to identify the root cause of this um, emotion or whatever sits at the bottom of your consciousness. But I, I found this very fascinating. And um, I will certainly talk about, about this, this phenomenon and, and these memories coming back up in, in further shows. I mean, I don't think it's the right time now. But uh, I wanted to, to bring it to your attention um, because I think it's something very, uh, very amazing. So I uh, thank you for listening and I will, um, I will take a short break for about two or three minutes and I will see you for the last piece of the show in about, uh, again, two or three minutes. Thank you. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. 
The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Yes, hello again. This is Jill. Uh, Thank you for listening. Right before the break, I was telling the story about this documentary um, relating the, the reincarnation of some folks in Bath in England, and especially the story of two Irish women who took a trip to Montsegur. And I realized just now, thanks to the break, that I became also very emotional telling this story, even though I'm not, you know, I'm only facing my computer here and wearing my headset. But um, now I can feel my my forehead, you know, was eating up. And it's, uh, you know, it's very interesting how this emotion kind of thing works. And um, I watched the comment, the document, the whole documentary once. And then I watched uh, the last five minutes with these two Irish women um, another two times. And each time I think I got, you know, I got some sort of a reaction. And, and I realized that um, also because of what happened last week that an emotion occurs in reaction to something, usually something that happens in our external environment, I would think most of the time, you know, someone dies and obviously we are struck by, you know, sadness and sorrow and, and all these these emotions that are draining us in a sense. And... Um, you know, I received a letter from the IRS and it's, it's usually bad news or, you know, anxious uh, feeling. And um, so I, I realized, again, it's not like a thought. Usually the emotions come, they stay with us for a while, whatever they need to do or whatever. You know, it's a question of how do we host uh, these emotions away? I think it's, uh, it goes back to the article by Giovanni that I briefly summarized uh, also, you know, the, this uh, four-step process. And and um, before we release, you know, these emotions, how do we host them? Um, how do we honor them? And and 
you know, if there's a need to honor them, I don't think there's any need to honor the the IRS sending me a letter, but there's a need to honor uh, the anxiety coming up within me because it it what makes me human at the same time. And I think it's even though the emotion isn't pleasant, it's a very it's a very hopeful sign. You know, I'm able to feel. I'm not a I'm not a machine. I'm not an automaton. And um, that is to say, it goes with every kind of emotion. And um, so the first question I had last week was, you know, these emotions, they are not like thoughts. You know, thoughts can happen, then they stop, they go away. And then a few weeks back, they come back and they knock at the door again. And they, 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 they seem to be chasing you in a sense, like the thought I had this morning. Uh, even though the thought was different because of the context of me going to daycare and our son getting a picture today. Um, the quality of the thought, the nastiness of the thought was the same I've experienced for a long, long time. I think what changes over the years is much more the frequency and the persistence, you know, how persistent the thought is. That changes over the years uh, in terms of walking the path and doing spelunking and questioning the mind and what comes out of the mind. That I could see a change but the thought itself is just as nasty or is just as, let's call it criminal, a criminal as it's always been. And um, again, you know, what matters with both emotions and thoughts is the extent to which we can observe in the first place, you know, notice the thought coming in before it does uh, damage in a sense before it takes us down the road into doing something we're not supposed to do or something which would be really damaging. And, and so um, my first question about when thinking about emotions and thoughts was, you know, emotions tend to occur in reaction to something external, but can they also occur in reaction to something internal? And uh, that got me going. That got me going and... and um, and I started feeling about the emotion of love. Obviously, the emotion of love for someone like a mate, like a parent, like a sibling, like a spouse. Um, it's still, you know, the emotion again comes from within, obviously. But there's an external, uh, quote-unquote, factor, a, a presence, a person in this case. So we are still in the presence of someone else or something else. So it's, it's again, a reaction when you fall in love with someone, you're reacting to some external event, uh, some external uh, happening in your, in your life. And obviously, it can, be, uh, it can be positive, it can be negative, it could be, I don't know, neutral, I don't know. But I was questioning this idea, you know, does something come from within, purely from within, and um, I don't know. It seems to be a very interesting path to explore. And I, and I started, you know, thinking about the, this, shall I call it emotion? I don't know. This, this love thing, this universal love thing that uh, I've been hearing so much about. And, you know, this oneness that we're all one. Um, it's something that apparently we knew long ago and that we've forgotten. And within that oneness, there was a feeling of love. There was a feeling of, of universal compassion for just about anyone, even people we don't know, even, you know, the, the tree that I'm seeing outside the window. 
I had a deep feeling of love for that for that other being in a sense. I, uh, that being, you know, sentient or non-sentient. I guess it's just about the same thing. And I believe that this kind of I have difficulty calling it a feeling. This emotion, love with a capital L for all our environment, I think is really coming from within. And it's not triggered by anything or anyone. Um, if there's anything or anyone that triggers it, I think it's much more a question of us getting closer to wherever we need to go, I guess, wherever this path is leading us. Uh, and that's it, you know. Each of us uh, walking the path may have different names, I guess. Again, it's not up to me to tell you where you're going. I'm sure you know. I'm totally sure you know better than I do. And I would call it, you know, this destination, in a sense, the divine. Some people call it the rose cross as a state of perfection that you want to achieve. Not a perfection in terms of uh, getting a A++ or a 20 out of 20 in a grade, but a sense of being pure in a sense. And um, that already appeals to me, this, this purity from within. And does, again, this feeling of love, this internal emotion, does it arise in reaction to something within? And if it does, because I'm still not quite sure that it does, but it seems to be a, a worthy path of exploration. Um, if it does, you know, how do we make it happen? It's really the, the question of a lifetime, you know, how do we get closer to that divine within us, providing we, we conceive of a divine within us. And many people conceive of a divine, many people call, call him, you know, Allah or, or God or, or Yahweh, I mean, and for many of these people, many of us, you know, it's still something or someone outside ourselves. And that's just fine. I mean, I'm just saying that there's so many creeds, so many belief systems in the world. Uh, that's the beauty of the, of the world we live in. There's so much diversity. I mean, and there's people walking path at a very different pace, very different uh, very different place on the path. And that's what's got me really um, amazed in a sense. Amazed of thinking of the diversity of spiritual, um, the way spirituality, you know, materializes in a sense in our lives. How does it manifest in a sense? What kind of, of synchronicities and what kind of messages do we get? I've, get? I've been getting so many, many messages and and meeting so many people, uh, very interesting people. And lately, just to tell you a bit about that in the next um, few minutes, I've been meeting since the beginning of the year so many people, four or five, but it's when you know zero people in one place and suddenly you know four or five people. I've been getting to know four or five people in Glastonbury in England, uh, which is further west from Bath. It's interesting, in London, you move west to Bath, and then Glastonbury, and 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 yet there's a path in here. There's something like um, something little pebbles in a sense, little spiritual pebbles, um, leading me to that place. And um, you know what what really happened? I guess the name that comes to mind in terms of Glastonbury is is Mary Magdalene, obviously. And um, 
you know, I've mentioned my experience with her, seeing her in one in one sanctuary of, of ancestral memory. But why so suddenly, since the beginning of the year, within three months, I'm meeting uh, so many people living in the same place. And these, these occurrences, the way these people show up in my life online, all of them showed up online, is so mystical. And so, also, I would say mind-boggling to go back to the topic of the mind. So I wanted to share that with you. Maybe you want to pay attention to what goes on in your life and all these mystical occurrences. Uh, it's one way to, you know, to get directions on the path. And I think it's worth uh, exploring just about anything that comes your way, providing it makes you, it makes you grow and it makes you um, enjoy life to the fullest. So thank you very much. And I will um, see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giles Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again.